You're listening to the Long's Chapel Weekly Message Podcast, available Sundays at 5 o'clock p.m. If you would like to connect to Long's Chapel or keep up with all events happening at Long's Chapel Church, connect with us via Instagram, Facebook, or on our church website, longschapel.com. Here at Long's Chapel, we believe in worshiping and serving God by reaching people and growing together as passionate followers of Jesus Christ, because all people matter to God. So it was a number of years ago that my wife and I were out in California visiting with her brother's family. On the Sunday that we were there, we went to church. And on that particular morning, it was Baby Dedication Sunday. I love Baby Dedication Sundays, don't you? And when I would do them as a pastor, it would be so fun. But what struck me about this particular Baby Dedication is that one family had had twin baby girls. Not that that was anything extraordinary, but I thought the names they picked were unique. One was called Tallulah Poppy and the other Matilda Forever. (laughs) I kid you not. Those are the names. You can ask my wife and... Wouldn't you have loved to ask those people, okay, why did you, yeah, where did that name come from? Why, why did you pick Tallulah? Maybe they're from Georgia. I don't know. Now, in the scriptures, Old Testament, you're aware that names had significance. Anybody remember what Isaac means? Very good. It means laughter. Why? Because when Sarah was told at age 90 she was going to have a baby, she said something like, oh, don't make me laugh. (laughs) Anybody know what Jacob means? Grabber. Why? (laughs) Yeah, when he was born, even before he got his act together, he's holding on to his brother's foot as he's coming out. Jacob's youngest son was named Benjamin. His first name by Rachel was actually Ben-Ami, Ani. Anyone know the difference between the two names? The first, Ben-Ani, means son of my sorrow because what happened to Rachel? She died. Jacob changed the name to Benjamin, meaning Son of my strength. Okay, so names. You come to the scriptures, you see a name. Don't just pass over it. There's a good chance it's pretty significant. For example, Christmas. Angel named Gabriel shows up to a young girl named Mary and says to her, you're to call your son. Anybody know what that name means? Very good. Jehovah saves, the Savior, and he's going to save the world. Now, you would think that I would preach this morning on that particular name, but I'm not going to. What I like to do is I'd like to jump 700 years earlier when a prophet named Isaiah gave us multiple names for this child. You familiar with it? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Take a look at the screen. For to us a child is born... To us, the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now that, <laughs> there's a mountain of information there. I'm just going to give you a brief overview here. But first, let me give you a little bit of context for that particular verse. Because in the book of Isaiah, the first eight chapters, Isaiah is bringing prophecy against the people of Israel that judgment's coming. A day of darkness is coming. But then verse chapter 9, he changes his tone a little bit. And he begins to say that this, this darkness, it's not going to last forever. In fact, the day is coming when those living in darkness, says verse 2 of chapter 9, a light will shine. Okay. How's that going to happen? Well, take a look at the verse because he says a child is going to be born. A son's coming. And notice that the government is going to be on his shoulder, meaning that child is going to be a what? Very good. A king. Now my guess is in the thinking of Isaiah, he's going, okay, I'm going to tell them a king is coming, and they're going to go, yeah, we've had lots of kings, and we didn't like most of them. How's this guy going to be any different? Well, that prompts Isaiah to say, well, let me tell you how he's going to be different. Let me tell you who he is going to be. And he starts out with an absolutely shocking word. He says, he will be called... <laughs> wonderful. Now you're looking at me thinking, okay, wonderful. It's a nice word. <laughs> but I, I don't see anything shocking about it. Because, you know, it's in English, wonderful is an adjective, right? And an adjective defines a noun. For example, we would say, oh... That was a wonderful presentation. Or that was a wonderful Thanksgiving dinner. Wonder, well, what, what we're saying, according to the dictionary, if you notice, wonder has to do with something that is unusually good. Meaning it creates a sense of wonder in it. Okay, that gets a little closer to maybe the word being remarkable, but shocking. What I need you to know is that Isaiah, the word he chooses is this word, pele. Pele is not an adjective. Pele is a very substantial noun. It's used over and over in the Old Testament and particularly in the Psalms. Here's Psalm 78. You ready? He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt. That word miracle, guess what word it is? Pele, okay. Sometimes, notice, it does get, like in here in Isaiah 9, translated wonderful. And that's because there, in that word is this connotation that there's something awesome that's happened. That it's mysterious, hence Miracle, okay? And the idea behind the word Pele is that it is something that God does, not man. In fact, most scholars agree that Pele is a clear indication that a deity is at work. This king, this child, is not merely wonderful. 
He is the wonder of the universe. That's what we're getting at when we have the word Pele. He is the wonder. Let me give you a quote from E.J. Young from his commentary. It says, to designate the child with the word Pele is to make the clearest attestation of his deity. Mm. That's why this child is wonderful. <laughs> I mean, which one of us can adequately explain the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Anybody want to take a stab at it? Let alone things like his resurrection from the dead. Things like his ascension into heaven. His promised return and a thousand other things besides. We are just left with our mouths hanging open saying, how does this work? That's why Isaiah begins with the word Pele. Because he himself is struggling saying, how do I describe what God has in store, not only for the people of Israel, but for all mankind? This child is the wonder of the universe, people. But he doesn't stop there, does he? Because he is the wonderful... Very good. Now again, here's another word in Hebrew, Yawesh, that doesn't translate very well to English. Because when we, when we say counselor, what are we thinking of? That, that Jesus is kind of like the penultimate therapist. Yeah? He, he's, he's an advisor. Which, okay, yes, yes he is. How many of us don't from time to time need guidance and assistance in our walk, Right? But what we've got to keep in mind is that this counselor, according to the word of God, will need far more wisdom than a human could have. Psalm 32. Look what it says about him. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. So yes, this counselor does come alongside us and help us. But that only scratches the surface. That this counselor goes well beyond a human. Again, that's why Isaiah uses the word Pele. Because Pele counselor, Pele Yemesh, is going to be, according to Paul in Colossians 2, what? In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Woo! Isaiah picks that up and he says, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That, that commentator, E.J. Young again, he says the uniqueness of the word suggests that this, this king that's coming isn't going to need counselors like others because he is the counselor. Now, let's add one more thing, shall we? Well, you don't have a choice. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> what we learn in the New Testament, where does that counselor reside? In the human heart. The man or woman who comes to Christ is indwelt with Pele Yawesh. 
You realize that, right? And that there is never a moment in any day when you don't have all the counsel and wisdom you need because he's right here. Can you explain that? <laughs> Not me. Maybe I'll try it in another sermon. I don't know. But we're beginning to see when, when Isaiah says this child's coming and he uses Pelite, they, they should have stoned him for blasphemy. How can a child be Pele Yawash? But that's who he is. But that's not all Isaiah says, is it? Because he goes on to say he's also going to be, what, what's the next word or term? Almighty God. El Gebor. Now what I want to do is I'm going to start with the second word in English, which is the first word in the Hebrew, Gebor, which means God. Okay? And as many of you know, in the scriptures, there are various names for God. I'll give you four of them. One is El, which is what we have here in this particular verse. You have Elohim that shows up in the book of Genesis. You have Eloah, which is also often in the Psalms. And what's the most common name we know for God? Oh, you guys are good. Now, given all of that, doesn't that leave you wondering, okay, okay, then, then who, what is Isaiah talking about? Some commentators actually suggested that all that's going on here is what is called court flattery. He's just saying something polite and complimentary like, oh, to me, your, your face was like the face of God. <laughs> is that what's going on here? Well, if you study a little bit more, you find that the word el almost never in the Bible is referred to a person. And it is never used that way in the book of Isaiah. Here's pulpit commentary. When the meaning of el is divinity in an absolute sense, it's never used hyperbolically or metaphorically. Because as you're aware... Jews, particularly ancient Jews, were monotheists, right? They rejected outright polytheism. But here you've got Isaiah. He's working in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he's listening, and all of a sudden he hears the Spirit say, this child that's coming is going to be called El. Do you think that good Jew had a little trouble with what he just heard? It's what? But then he goes back and he thinks, but he's also Pele. He's also Yawesh. And he's, and it just blows his mind. That seriously? This is going to be God in the flesh. And then he remembers two chapters earlier, he used another word. Which word did he use? Isaiah 7, 14. And his name shall be called Emmanuel. What does that mean? And Isaiah is going, oh my goodness, my goodness, my goodness, oh my goodness. And I got so to somehow explain this to these people. <sighs> but then the Spirit says to him, and I want you to add the word Gibor. What does Gibor mean? It means mighty, 
mighty. Gabor, used about 60 times in the Old Testament. Most frequently it's used in terms of a warrior, a mighty warrior. But it's also in reference to God. Where? I knew you'd ask that, so I put this on the screen. Deuteronomy 10. The Lord your God is Gabor. Okay. Now what to me is very striking is that only a chapter later in his book, chapter 10 of Isaiah, he talks about in hope that Israel is going to come back to the Holy One of Israel. Who's the Holy One of Israel? God. And in that context, he says, here's verse 21, a remnant of Jacob will return to the El Gabor. Holy One of Israel is El Gabor. In chapter 9, El Gabor is the child. Therefore, in chapter 9, you can assume that he is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah is going to get himself in trouble because it, it sure sounds like polytheism here. And now we'll, we'll get to that in a minute when we get to Everlasting Father. But I, I want to do just one step further, if I may. Thank you very much. I went into the commentaries, and one commentator says El Gabor is a heroic god. Or he translated another way, a god of a hero. Why do I find that significant? Well, ladies and gentlemen, as you look at our world, as you look at our country, do we not need a hero today? And yet all of our heroes all of, seem to inevitably let us down. Well, what Isaiah is trying to say is that understand that this child will travel the distance from heaven to earth. He will take on all the forces of darkness for a people, many of whom would rather kill him than believe in him. And he will take it all the way to where? The cross. <laughs> Is that a hero that we need today? Is that the hero our world needs today? <laughs> people, our world, it, it is just a mess. And we think that politics or money or something's going to fix it. Aren't you glad Isaiah said, you know, a child's coming. And Gabriel says, yes, his name's Jesus. But let me tell you really who he is. He's wonderful counselor and he's almighty God. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He goes on to everlasting father. Aviad. Now, admittedly so, let's, let's admit, this one makes us scratch our heads, doesn't it? <laughs> because, oh, wait a minute. Son, father, father, son. And that's part of the disparity, uh, disparity here because the breadth of the word, that last part of the word is ad, A-D. That's simply the Old Testament name for daddy, for father, okay? But it can also mean begetter, originator, look at the last one, creator. Scholars will come to this particular word and say, this is a direct communication that this Messiah will participate in creation. Does the New Testament bear that out at all? 
How about John chapter 1, verse 3? What's it say? Through him, all things that were made, all, all things are made. Without him, nothing was made that had been made. Ooh, Isaiah, John. But now let's go to the first part of the word avi. Avi means perpetuity, ongoing, or everlasting. So now we get to add together this, the, the coming of this person, this child, is going to be God of all creation, but he's divine. He's, he's eternal, and he has creative powers. It's just, it's just mind-boggling what's being said here. Now, I'm not adding odd in there, the father, A.D. Isaiah's not trying to scribble our theology, believe me. What I think he's telling us is that this child is not only going to be God the creator come in the flesh, but the word odd means he is going to be the revealer of the father. Hmm. I ask you, if God the Father wants to let us know who he is, what would be the best means of communication to do that? Very good. To become one of us. And that's what's going on with this child coming. Remember, last night, disciples are in the upper room and they're talking and Jesus is going away and don't be afraid and it's okay. And then in verse Chapter 14, verse 7, Jesus says, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Hmm. Philip, like the rest of us, is thinking, Okay, Jesus, that's cool. Show us the Father, and that will be great. What does Jesus say to Philip and say to all of us? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus isn't, or the Isaiah isn't saying that Jesus is the Father, but in the Godhead, you can't separate them. They come together, one and the other, but Jesus is the revealer of the Father. Again, pulpit commentary. Jesus expected to awaken a new spirit in men. What kind of spirit? The child's spirit. That we would see the Father through him. <laughs> Isn't this amazing? Because what did this child, God, Father, Revealer reveal? All right, I take you to John chapter 3. Who do we meet in John chapter 3? A guy named Nicodemus. What does Jesus tell Nicodemus? I didn't come to condemn the world. I've come to save the world. Jump a chapter over. Woman at the well. Did he not know all of her profligate lifestyle all those many years? Sure he did. Did he befriend her anyway? Yeah. How about three chapters later in chapter 7, the woman caught in adultery. After the guys drop their stones and all walk away, Jesus says what? What? Nobody condemned you? Neither do I. Very good. You guys are quoting it. Neither do I. The... the 
The Christ child, who is the Father Revealer, has so taught us that what God is looking for isn't perfection, isn't getting our act together and human accomplishments so that then we become worthy of his love. He loves us. Let me, let me quote, quote a great theologian by the name of Chris Westmoreland. <laughs> God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like Chris? <laughs> The Christ child, who became the father revealer, reveals us that we have a father that's so crazy about us. He wants to take care of us for the rest of eternity. Doesn't that make your heart sing? Oh. But there's one more. I gotta keep moving. I gotta keep moving. Everlasting Father, and what's next? Very good. Now, let me suggest there's something going on in this particular verse, a progression, that the first two names tell us the child's identity, who he is. The second two tell us what he's going to do. We just talked about him revealing the Father. But he's also going to be the peace bringer. Now, how's that going to happen? Well, the two words, let me show you the first one that's part of this name, is the, is the word Sar. It means captain, chief, prince. Okay, what kind of prince? We've had a bunch of those and we didn't like them. <laughs> okay, here's Ezekiel. I, the Lord, will be their God, and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. Is this just another prince in the long line of princes? Or is there something extraordinary about this prince? How long will he be prince? Forever. <laughs> Unlike earthly princes, whom we're not sure we can trust, the prince of peace will be different. Why? Because the second word in his name, Sar Shalom. Anybody familiar with Shalom? What's it mean? Peace. Okay. So there's going to be peace. But admittedly so, there are those who struggle with the shalom part. Why? Because of what Jesus says in Matthew 10. There are those who pull that out and say, don't you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10? Now some of you are thinking, okay, what did Jesus say in Matthew 10? Glad you asked. Here it is. Do not suppose, says Jesus, that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but the sword. Huh. That doesn't sound very peace-like, does it? So what's going on there? The answer is that Jesus is simply being a realist. How so? Two ways. First, Jesus realizes that not all people are going to believe in him and trust him. Is that hard for anybody to figure out? My guess is that there are Many of you here in the room, that you are a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, but you've got children, or maybe parents, or spouse, that just refuses to see Jesus for who he is, and why he came. Well, what's going to happen, according to Matthew 10, is that it's not Jesus that will implement the sword, it's the condition of the human heart that will necessitate the sword, because things are going to need to be put right. And those people who refuse 
a judgment's coming. Which, mind you, is what broke Jesus' heart because he sees that coming. The, the scene, he's outside of Jerusalem sitting on his donkey and he's bawling his eyes out, right? Palm Sunday. And what does he say? How I wish today that you of all people, Jews, would understand the way to peace. Now it's too late. Peace is hidden from your eyes. <laughs> See, the sword in Matthew 10 isn't Jesus doing. It's ours. Because it's got to be corrected. What messed up Eden, paradise? A stupid apple. Can we let anything like that into the kingdom of heaven? No. Or we'll have earth part two. And it breaks Jesus' heart. But there's a second thing that Jesus understands and that because of our hard hearts and because of our sin, you can't have peace without bloodshed. But hear me, hear me, hear me. Listen. Not our bloodshed. His. Isaiah spoke of this 700 years before the cross in chapter 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And now look at this. And by his wounds, we're healed. It is shed blood, folks, his shed blood that brings us shalom, that brings us peace. Now how does that happen? It's because the word shalom, again, in English we just say peace. It's bigger than that. It means wholeness and completeness. It means well-being. It means security. It means tranquility. That when Jesus came to the disciples in that upper night, he says, look, this is what the world needs. And then he explains, John 14, I'm leaving you a gift. What? Peace of mind and heart. Peace is the gift I give that the world can't give. Please understand that the opposite of shalom is not war. It's chaos. Oh, I wish I had more time to develop this, but I don't. All we need to point out, folks, do you know where the source of chaos is? It's in the human heart. I listened to a long commentary on what's going on in the West Bank, the Gulf, I mean, the in the Mediterranean, the Middle East. And they keep talking about negotiations and hostages and money. And It's been 3,000 years since these people started fighting. Any of those things going to fix it? See, the only one who's going to fix it is the Prince of Peace. And he does it one heart at a time. So now I've saved my only illustration for last. And it's from a couple years ago, pandemic. A father is at home having to work, but his five-year-old daughter won't leave him alone. It's driving him crazy. And when he's trying to figure out what to do, he spies the newspaper on the floor. And in the newspaper back page is a big picture of the world. 
And he comes up with this brilliant idea. He tears out that page and he cuts it all up into little pieces. And he gives it to his daughter with some tape and he challenges her, put the world back together. She takes the challenge, okay, daddy. He thinks, I'm good to go for at least an hour, maybe more. Five minutes later, she's back. The father is absolutely stunned. Says, how in the world did you fix the world? And the daughter says, well, it was easy. On the back of the picture was the picture of a man. When I got the man right, I got the world right. When I got the man right, I got the world right. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, folks. And one day, he's going to set the world right. He's going to sort out the chaos, but it'll be one heart at a time. Which takes us back to Matthew, 19, or ch or Matthew chapter 10. Because that sword thing, Jesus went on to explain that the, the way to avoid the sword is me. Come to me. But I know that, and you know it. There are people that say, that's too narrow. That's too non-tolerant. Do you know what's in that statement? That's Matthew 10 all over again. I will not believe. I will not believe he's going to do the peace thing. How do you know he's going to do it? Well, do you know how I know? Because this child... Is Pele Yamesh. He is El Gibor. He is Aviad. He is Sar Shalom. He is everything we as individuals need and our world needs, and He will do it. Do you believe it now? Do you get it now? That's who's coming. That's His name. And so, uh, Caroline and I have been working on this little song that we worked up. It took us a little while to compose this. But we'd like you to stand and sing it with, if, if you will. Um, you might recognize it from some other musical composition, but just because Handel wrote it first. <laughs> uh, when you hear this song, I want you to remember these Hebrew words. So stand if you can. There's parts on the screen. If you're soprano, sing that part. All the way down to the basses, sing your part. If not, just sing watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. That will work. Or just listen. Are we ready? Can we run it? Oh, 
just a wonderful therapist. He is Pele. Yemesh. <laughs> He's not Almighty God. He's El Gabor. And he will care for us for eternity if you're willing. So as we sing this final song with the worship team, if you need to come to the railing and deal with the sword, please do. Because that's what's most important. Because he changes one heart at a time. Thanks for joining the Long's Chapel Message Podcast. If you connected in any way with us via this podcast, we invite you to connect further by either leaving a rating and review down below or contacting us via our church website at longschapel.com. Here at Long's Chapel, we believe in worshiping and serving God by reaching people and growing together as passionate followers of Jesus Christ because all people matter to God. See you next week.